This is a special episode of the Reflection Podcast. I'm Ed Blonsky. This is part two of a conversation I have with Dr. Gerhard Bode, who is a professor of historical theology at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. This is a preeminent seminary in the United States uh, and happens to be one of the two uh, seminaries of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, a church body of which I am a pastor uh, here at St. Matthew. We are members of this synod. I sat down and talked with Gerhard Bode about Martin Luther yesterday and today, actually looking at the history of Luther as well as how Luther is still influencing and shaping the world today, 500 years after what was begun as the Lutheran Reformation in 1517. So here's part two of my conversation with Dr. Bodie on the Reflection Podcast. Let's talk about um, the effects of this. So Luther dies in 1546, I believe, uh, February 1546. Uh, mm-hmm. What are the results of this, of Luther and the Lutheran Reformation in Germany in the succeeding centuries? Uh, how does it change Western civilization? Yeah, how does how does how do Luther and the, the Lutheran Reformation change Western society, especially uh, you know? German society. It's this is a very interesting question. Lots has been uh, has been written about this. I, I think that um, you know you see a, a certain um, pattern that set down uh, coming out of the Reformation, and this, by the way, is not unique just to the Lutheran Reformation, but it's it's uh, it's we find examples of this in the Reformed Reformation and in the Catholic Reformation as well. There's a certain things that that come down. Uh, and into into the churches and into society that are common to those three confessions, if you will. For example, the uh, the Lutherans have their confessional documents. We have our Book of Concord that will uh, be you know assembled and published in 1580, and this becomes kind of a doctrinal standard, a confessional basis. Lutheran churches across the German lands in, in Scandinavia. Uh, other places in Europe, and of course, eventually comes over with Lutherans to America. Uh, the, the 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 Lutheran confessions are are key for our our churches to this day, but they're they're not unique. The the Reformed have their own confessions too. They have their own doctrinal standards. Think of things like the the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, or the the first Helvetic Confession, the Swiss Confession, or the second Helvetic Confession. In England, they have the the Westminster Confession and things like that. Uh, there are a whole series of these confessional documents where we kind of the churches are saying this is what we believe, teach, and confess. The Catholics have their their confessional documents as well. If you think about the the Council of Trent, which has canons and decrees that set down uh, the Roman Church's position on certain doctrines for centuries. So you have this this one of the immediate impacts of this is kind of a a laying out of of very clear teachings of our understanding of the scriptures and, and the, 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 the doctrinal the doctrine of the Christian church in different ways now. So that the church really is not united. Uh, the church is divided after the time of the Reformation. Uh, certainly the Roman church would like to 
blame Martin Luther for that, for the problem of division in the church. But I think we do re- need to recognize this, that that there is a, we have a divided uh, Christian church after this time. This is something to be... It's, it's tragic. It's something that we should, we should continue to, to work towards uh, the overcoming of it. We should continue to be in dialogue with, with other Christians, even if we don't agree with them. Um, the, you know, e- even in our, our own Lutheran church, our own Missouri Synod, this is something that we are dedicated to doing, to having dialogue with other Christians and working towards building up the unity of the faith. Sometimes we've done this better than others. But but the it's something that we should we should be striving for. But I, I think I mean, to answer your question, one of the first things that happens is you have a divided a divided Christian church, at, at least in in in, uh, in Western Europe, which is something that is that has a long term impact on the church. There, uh, if we look a little bit more more closely at let's say the, the German lands where Lutheranism is kind of born, there are are long term effects there. Some positive things, I would say, are 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 things like uh, a very strong emphasis on education uh, that the Lutheran Church develops. It, it, this, you can see this very clearly in the late 16th century, but well into the 17th century and 18th century, that that the, the many many times Lutheran education is continued to to be carried out for many centuries. Catechisms are also often part of that. That work not simply in schools, but they, they, you know, the idea of catechetical instruction and confirmation in in churches is something that, we, you know, in the late 16th century as well. So I think the idea to to uh, to to train up the next generation in the Christian faith and life that has been an ongoing concern ever since the time of the Reformation and has, has had a very long-term impact. By the way, you, you, you see this, this is a, a concern for the humanists, as I mentioned earlier. They're very concerned about education. But Luther and the Lutherans get a hold of this, and, and they, they kind of they emphasize certain things even more. So, for example, uh, Luther emphasizes the importance of the education of all people, regardless of class, regardless of their status in society. Uh, he emphasizes the importance of, of education, not simply of boys, but girls too. So now we're going to have boys and girls going to school. Uh, we're going to have, uh, uh, the, the, you know, there's a great value placed in the education of young children, okay? uh, that they be trained up in the Christian faith and life. Again, the catechism plays a very important role in that, but that will carry over into schools. Uh, so that that I think that emphasis on education and the, the the valuing of of children as Christians and the nurturing of them in that faith will be a very important thing carrying forward. I mean, this is something that we take very seriously today across society that, that we value our children. We want them to be trained up well, and especially in the church, we want them to be well trained in the Christian faith. It is a long lasting legacy. One other thing that I might point out just. Uh, kind of in connection with that, that I think is a long-term result of of the Lutheran Reformation. It's not unique to the Lutheran Reformation. The Reformed have this emphasis as well in their churches. Is that you you have the the valuing of children as people, and the valuing of of families. I, I think an increased understanding of of what it means to be a, a parent and a responsible parent. So you see this emerge uh, in, the, in the 16th and into the 17th century, this, this kind of this understanding of the important role 
of the family and the nurturing of children. Children, in the, in the medieval period, and before this time, children were kind of regarded as little adults. They're just small adults. And people, they were kind of treated like adults. They may be sent off to work as children in, in industry or, or, you know, crafts or something like that. They, they were kind of as long, you know, as soon as they could work, they would be sent off to do that kind of work. Well, the Reformation kind of changes that and, and suggests that, that children need to be nurtured and cared for and that they have, and Luther will, will do this, even with uh, the education of children, he is very strong in endorsing methods of education that are sensitive to children's needs and that are not, not abusive. Luther himself was beaten as a child when he got school, and, and Luther is very clear about it. We don't do that in our schools. We don't treat children like that. We treat them, we, we use... Uh, educational methods that are are kind and loving, uh, and and you know if you think about that, then that's going to kind of change how you view, view your own children, how parents view their children. Of course, one of the strong emphases of Luther is is the idea of the Christian vocation, that God calls people uh, to to serve in in various roles in society, in the family, in the church. And that, that God uses people, especially Christians, to love one another through those vocations. So mothers have vocations as, as wives and as mothers and daughters, too, to, to love their children and love their spouses and love their parents and love others around them. Fathers, uh, husbands have vocations uh, to love their wives and their children, and, uh, uh, and this works out in society as well. Um, that, that runs real deep. Uh, in the period after the Reformation. And so the, the, even the role of, of people in society, I think, is changed long term. There's, a, there's more of a, of a sense of a, of a calling that people may have in, in their lives with God, but also in their lives with, with one another. I think that's a, a lasting legacy of, of the Reformation. Um, kind of follow up on that. Um, the, the question that came to mind was, you know, without Luther... What don't we have, or, what, or who don't we have? And I was thinking, I had two names in mind: um, uh, Bach and and John Milton, Johann Bach and John Milton. How much did Luther really affect those kind of people to do what they did? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a very interesting question. Um, how, how does Luther affect affect others later on? Um, I, I, I think that there's there's uh, there's something really special about the, the content of Luther's teaching that that grabs hold of people. Um, and it, it's I mean Bach, for example, Johann Sebastian Bach is a is a Lutheran. He's trained as a Lutheran. Um, and and we could, we could very clearly see in Bach's music and in the, even the texts that he uses in his music, the uh, the desire to give glory to God. Uh, in his music, this is a, a gift that Bach had been given himself, um, and uh, and he uses this to to help other people. By the way, it's interesting that you bring up Bach because I was just reading just reading uh, the other day a part of a biography of Bach, in which he was I was reading that his you know Bach was married twice. His first wife Barbara died at at the age of thirty four. I think she was a young. A couple of years later, Bach remarried, 
and he married a woman named Anna Magdalena. And to get, she was quite young when they got married, but she had she had thirteen children with with Johann Sebastian Bach. She had thirteen children. Seven of those children died as children. And Bach Bach wrote for her for his wife, his second wife. He wrote uh, two different uh, versions of a, of a hymn by Paul Gerhardt, which has to do with with the comfort that we have in God in times of, of grief. Uh, when we think that, that everything is lost and we have no hope, that, that God r- reminds us of his love for us, of his salvation for us, and the comfort that we have in Christ. Bach wrote two different versions of that for his wife, musical settings of these, of these hymns. And I think that gives us a little bit of insight into into Bach himself. He's in a sense he's doing this for his wife. He's also doing it for himself. He's comforting himself with with God's word in moments of of grief. I, I'm reminded to go back to Luther for just a second. If I'm reminded of of uh, Luther's own own daughter Magdalena died when she was 13 years old, and she died in his arms. She had been sick for a brief period of time. And and she died and, and he was just completely broken after this. He as we can I can I only imagine what something like this must must be. And uh, they, they had the funeral the same day. And and they had a, a casket for Magdalena in the church, and they had a funeral. And Luther uh, uh, at one point during the service, he went up to the front of the church and he, he put the lid on the coffin closed the coffin, and, and said, she will rise again. And, and to think that, that that's, that's his faith response at that most painful moment, is reminding himself that his daughter will rise again. And that, that's the kind of theology that, that I think Bach was, was picking up on when he did this for, for his wife, who lost uh, uh, children. There's there's a comforting a comfort to the gospel message, a, a, a life changing power to the gospel message that gets a hold of people and never lets them go. Milton is a good example. You can see this throughout his work, throughout his writing, the power of of the gospel, the power of of Christ, uh, that gives him a completely different outlook. Uh, you know, you think of of um, the idea of having no hope and then having all the hope in the world. Uh, everything is hopeful. Um, I also think of of the of the Wesleys, uh, John and Charles Wesley, who are, and we might think of them as the they're they're Anglican uh, pastors and preachers in in 18th century England, who uh, really kind of had a conversion from from reading what Luther had to say about the Book of Romans. They were, were reading Romans, and Luther there is talking about how he finally understood that the gospel it means that the righteousness of God is is given by faith that it's a gift of God, and and both Charles and John Wesley heard that and uh, and changed their lives and changed their outlook, and they went and rededicated themselves to to preaching the gospel, especially to those that that were unchurched. Uh, John Wesley would would uh, who, who was a, a, an Anglican pastor. He had he, he could have gone into a great big church and 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 held forth there, and he did, of course. But he became famous for going out in the highways and byways and preaching the the, the word of God 
to uh, to to people going about their daily lives, people that you know were going to work. He he preached on the crossroads or in the in the town square to anybody that would hear him. There was such an urgency to to the gospel message there, and and also the belief with the Wesleys it was very strong that this is a message that that would change people's lives. Uh, and, and I think that, that is, I don't want to attribute all that to Martin Luther, but I think that's the kind of difference that, that Luther makes, that he, he behaves such a clear proclaimer of, of the truth of God, the gospel, that it, it, it has an impact. There's nothing new there. I mean, he's not making this up. Luther is simply same saying. He's simply telling what God, God says to us in his word. But he's able to do it in a way, and I think with with um, uh, with with a certain power that that makes people willing to stop and listen, and then that word of God comes clear, and it makes all the difference. The gospel comes clear. One of the connections that I have seen, whether I'm right or not, I don't know, and that's why I wanted to bring this up to you. I'm going to turn my camera just a little bit. In my office is a portrait. Uh, back there, of uh, the first Speaker of the House of Representatives of the United States, who also happened to be a Lutheran pastor at the same time. And I wanted to t uh, maybe get your take on just how much um, or, or what, what uh, level did Lutheranism have on the founding of the United States? Yeah, this is also a very interesting question. And, and you do have... Uh, I mean, we should point out first that, that Lutheranism has a long history in North America. I mean, it goes all the way back to the the earliest period of the colonies. You have, uh, you know, even the 1620s and 1630s. Um, and there may be Lutherans here as early as the 1610s, you know. Uh, so it's a very, very long history. And there, and there, there are a number of, of nations, of course, that are, working towards establishing colonies in North America in the early 17th century. And many of them have, have Lutherans uh, among their populace. The Swedes, for example, come over very early to, uh, to New Jersey and Delaware and that kind of mid-Atlantic area. And, and the Dutch, there are Dutch Lutherans that come over very, very early uh, and eventually will, will get established in places like New York. Um, and they come in large numbers. Eventually, the, the Germans in particular will come later, but they they come in very very large numbers, and uh, they that they're not all of them are Lutheran. Of course, there may be some that are Catholic and some that are Reformed. Those traditions are maintained in in Germany even to the present day. But Lutheranism really does have a have a strong uh, presence in in even in colonial America. One thing that that I find is kind of interesting you you have. Um, Pastors in, in New York, uh, quite early uh, in the in the 17th century, 18th century, for example, who are uh, who are are working to do mission work among the African slaves, African American slaves, very very early, and I think that's interesting. You have a you have a very early sense uh, among these Lutheran pastors, people, whether they're enslaved or not. They need to hear God's word. So there's an, a strong mission emphasis there uh, that I think is really interesting. You, you see that also with uh, Henry Melchior Muhlenberg, who comes over in the 1740s, 
Um, and and you also you even even he has some uh, some interaction with with African slaves in South Carolina, for example, and he's very concerned that uh, you know some of these these people had been here already for a generation or two. They did not know anything about Christ, and he's just getting settled in North America. But he realizes that this is a problem. Uh, so one thing I just simply wanted to point out is that you find pretty early on there's a there's a strong concern about the issue of slavery among Lutherans and and the, the desire that that uh, that the slaves be be uh, you know be, become Christians that they hear the gospel there will be a pretty strong emphasis uh, many Lutherans in the in the 1840s and 50s and 60s will be part of the abolition movement as well there's some very prominent Lutherans especially out east who are leaders in the abolitionist movement um, and that that is informed. Uh, it's it's informed largely by their their Christian faith, uh, their their des the desire to, you know, see that people be treated well and loved, and cared for, and not not abused and not held in bondage of slavery. That's just to do. So I think you can kind of see that that emphasis there. I didn't want to overlook that. But but even earlier, I think that there's a. Um, you know, there are, the, the German Lutheran Church is just kind of getting it, itself uh, established in the in the 1750s and 1760s. There are not a lot of Lutheran churches. There may be a lot of Lutherans, but they're not really put into into churches yet in the early period. That that uh, will have a long term impact because they will they will very strongly work towards missions. Okay. Um, so there's a strong mission em emphasis there. Uh, there will also be a strong emphasis on on things like um, like human care early on. If you want to look at kind of the fabric of American society, especially out east in the in the 18th century, very strong in the 19th century, uh, you know, uh, institutions to help the poor, uh, to help widows or orphans. Lots of of um, a lot, many many hospitals are established by Lutherans. So that kind of um, uh, and of course, the Missouri Synod, our own church body, is doing that kind of thing as well in the 19th century. That that concern, I think, for for human welfare, for for uh, human care of one another, is a strong emphasis, even back in the colonial period. Um, now, whether or not the uh, involved in politics early on, that's a little bit more difficult to say. We do know that Henry Melchior Muhlenberg, of course, had had several sons. Who, of course, Muhlenberg is kind of the patriarch of a, of a lot of Lutheran churches out east, especially in Pennsylvania. But he has a number of sons who are politically engaged and very active in politics. Uh, he has he has sons who are members of Congress, a constitutional Congress. They're, they serve roles in the early Republic, um, and they kind of famously there's uh, there's the. Uh, the story that one of his sons cast the, the deciding vote about the language of the United States. There was a question about whether or not it would be English or German. And here you have a, a young man who grew up speaking German and votes for English. I, I think that's kind of apocryphal. But um, but he, he was concerned at least that the, the German-speaking people be able to understand the, the, our Constitution and, and things like that. So the, the language issue is in, is in the mix. The other thing that I wanted to point out with regard to the the Muhlenberg brothers is that that one of them was a was a general in in the army of George Washington. 
and served with some distinction. And there are a number of of uh, high level German Lutherans that serve in in the Continental Army uh, against against the British. So that that is kind of interesting. Uh, everybody kind of you think that they might side with the Tories, but they don't. They all seem to come over to the side of the of the Continental Army and George Washington. And um, I just think that's kind of an interesting. interesting it point. is excellent. Thank you so much for that. Um, kind of wrap things up with um, here in the 21st century. How is Luther really um, motivating or maybe influencing? Uh, the 21st century world? That's a really good question of Luther's influence today. And I, I think that there's there's a lot of things that we could think about. I, I mentioned education earlier. I think that that is something that that very, very strong emphasis that has come through um, through the ages. We, I don't think our society probably realizes enough just how much of an impact on education the Lutheran Reformation had. Um, it, it may not not be interested in looking back that far, but I do think that that's uh, an impact that it, it still remains to this day. I, I think that there are certain there have been a, a number of different interpretations of Luther, especially in the twentieth and twenty first century. Some of which I think that we can we can endorse, we can follow. Some of which maybe are a little bit more difficult for us to follow. Some, for example, will will see Luther as 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 the great individual. Uh, the, the the person who stands up against authority, stands up against the authority of the emperor and the pope. Uh, kind of, you know, he has his "here I stand" moment. There's something that's w wonderfully American about that, and I think that Americans kind of latch on to that. Uh, he's the, you know, the the person who who stands up against all odds. Um, we we may kind of appropriate Luther that way, uh, or people may think of him. That way, I, I don't know that that's really the way Luther thought of himself. Um, he, he does have a strong emphasis on the individual's relationship to God and what that looks like. You know, who who am I before God? What kind of God do I have, and how does He deal with me? That is an important question. But I think that there's probably a lot of other things in the mix uh, as we kind of move towards modernity through the through the centuries, through the Enlightenment. That, that there are plenty of other individuals uh, and people emphasizing that, uh, that, that while Luther does, does do that, I'm not sure that he's, he's the only one or the most influential one in the mix. It's also the great emphasis on, on liberty. Uh, Luther, in 1520, writes a work called uh, On the Freedom of a Christian. And that, that was a work that really got a lot of traction. Uh, it was uh, a work that was popular in the German lands, but was quickly translated into other languages, into English and and, and French, and and spread those ideas spread quickly. The idea basically that Luther presents in that work is that before God, we are uh, because of Christ we are completely free. We're we're not we we don't have God to earn our salvation, but at the same time you know we're we're free to to love one another, and in fact we're actually uh, called to do that. I think that idea. Of, of of Christian freedom, freedom in the world that that is God given, that's Christ earned, that makes a difference in our lives. I think that idea has a has legs that run a very long way. Uh, that they it, it, it's an idea that's still around today, and I think certainly for many Christians, that idea is 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 I think quite prominent. Maybe it's something that we need to emphasize more. But I think that 
that um, you know the idea of of a life of faith in God and a life of service and care for one another. It, it, Luther's work, his work from 1520 on freedom of a Christian, is kind of boiled down into those things. Uh, you know, faith in God and, and love for neighbor, which is, of course, a biblical idea. That that kind of idea, I think, still is is around today, especially among a lot of a lot of Christian churches. Um, I, I think that that um, I, I tell students here that the, the most important, or what's more important than Martin Luther, what's more important than Martin Luther is the message that he proclaimed, the gospel. And I, I think that 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 is, you know, that that people might not know who Martin Luther is. Uh, they might know who Martin Luther King is. <laughs> okay, we could talk about that, and then also talk about Martin Luther along the way. But I think that that I think what what Luther has to say more than anything else to the people of our own time is is that gospel message. You know, whether or not that still has an impact in the way that it, it did in the past, I don't know. I think it, it's a message that is timeless, that people still need to hear today with a great urgency. And it's it's a message of of hope that that is lasting and enduring, and it's a message of hope that actually has something to it. It's a message that that has content to it. It's not just hope and hopes for hope's sake. But it's hope in Christ, and it's hope in 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 the gospel, uh, in the promises of God that are true. And I think if there's any impact that it, Luther's message still has today, or that it should have today, it's it's that message of of God's faithfulness in Christ that that will see us through through anything. The 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 future is very uncertain, and. Uh, I think people are more and more worried. You can just you can just sense it. You can feel it. There's more more anxiety uh, around us, uh, and it's something that I I uh, you know I'm here at Concordia Seminary. I I, uh, I talk to students about they they know what's going on in the real world, and they they come in and we have a brand new batch of new students just starting here this fall, and uh, they're they're pretty bold to come in and want to want to prepare to serve in in the ministry. To be pastors and teachers and deaconesses, these are these are brave young men and women that are coming in and wanting to do this kind of work, uh, bringing the, this word of God to the world, because it's it's a world that doesn't always have a lot of hope. But Luther's message is one that has hope and that's rock solid, and I think that's what's what's really exciting. I think that's why Luther is is so compelling even to this day that he he actually has something really important to say to people. And it's a message that's that's communicated clearly, uh, and and faithfully, and uh, again, it's it's something that is that changes people's lives, and it makes all the difference for them. What would you recommend uh, if people want to pick up a book about Luther? What, what, who would you recommend? Well, there's so many. There's so many great books about Luther. Uh, I I um. Since you asked, I have a couple of suggestions that I actually brought with me. One is one of my my all time favorites, and it's it's this book here. I stand by Roland Bainton. This is one of my favorite biographies of Luther. It's an old book. It was first published in 1950, so I suppose it's a little bit outdated. There's been a 
research in Luther's writing since then, and newer books benefit from that research. But I, I love this book. It, it's a Bainton is a, a great storyteller, and uh, and tells the story of Luther in a very compelling, very engaging way. It's very informative. It's just packed with all kinds of little tidbits of wonderful information, and it's very well written. Which is also a really good thing, and and it's uh, <laughs> there's a lot of a lot of books that aren't so well written. This is a very good one. So I, I, it's one of my one of my all time favorites. So that's an older biography of Luther. One of the newer ones that I recommend is this one by Andrew Pedigree called Brand Luther. Uh, this is a book that came out a few years ago. By the way, the, you know, with the with the anniversary of the Reformation in 2017, a lot of really good books have come out before and after that time. Brand Luther is one of my, my my favorite newer books. This is kind of an interesting combination of, of a, a good biography of Luther and also a, a book that that talks about Luther, the communicator. The subtitle of the book is How an Unheralded Monk Turned His Small Town into a Center of Publishing, Made Himself the Most Famous Man in Europe, and Started the Protestant Reformation. Uh, it it, it kind of takes a different approach. Uh, historians like to like to to take a, a a different angle on a historical figure from time to time, and that's what what Pedigree does for the communicator. At looking at Luther, uh, the the writer of books, the the publisher of books, and how they kind of how it it kind of transformed the Reformation because you have, in a sense, one of the first mass communicators uh, in in the modern age. And it's one that's communicating the, the the message of God's word to people. It's really quite amazing. It deals a lot with the printing press, and uh, with with how how that was developed and and used to great effect. So I highly recommend uh, that book. I, I have just a couple of others that I mentioned briefly. One is one is is a book by by Robert Kolb, one of our professors here at Concordia Seminary. It's called Martin Luther, the Confessor of the Faith. This is a, a little paperback book published by Oxford. It's part of their their series on Christian theology and context, and I I like this book because it is it's a it's it's not very long. It's a, a a brief book, but it's very meaty and very substantive. It's not complicated, but it it basically presents the the, the main teachings of Luther in in a in a in a very profound way. It tells you what what Luther was all about, what his teaching was all about, uh, and and it just kind of it, it, it's a wonderful uh, summary of Luther's the key teachings of Luther. And by uh, presented by Robert Cole was one of our our great uh, of our time. So if you want to know about kind of Luther's theology in a in a in a kind of summary way, I'd highly recommend this book. Then the, just the last one, which is also one of my all-time favorites, is Dr. Aaron's book, That I May Be His Own. This is about Luther's catechisms. There's been a lot of great books about Luther's catechisms that have been written recently. But uh, this one is by Charles Aaron, who is also on our, our faculty here at Concordia Seminary. And this is the, the best book that I've ever read about Luther's catechisms, where they came from, but also what what the importance of the, the catechism is for our for our daily life. This is something that we we kind of live out in our daily life. It's a message uh, of 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 uh, kind of a summary of God's word that's that we, we kind of take up residence in. 
Uh, and this is, a, I just think, a very, very, very helpful book. It's one of the books that's really changed the way I think about the catechism and also about, about Luther's teaching. So I highly recommend that. But again, there's so many, there's so many great books about Luther. It, it's, it's hard to, to pick a few. Dr. Gerhard Bodhi, thank you so much for this. It's just been, I have just been enraptured listening to the stories of Luther that you've told us. Thank you so much, sir. It was a pleasure to be with you. Thank you, Pastor Blonsky. I really enjoyed it. My thanks to Dr. Gerhard Bodhi of Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri, for this inspiring and, and enrapturing uh, discussion and stories of Martin Luther, yesterday and today. If you'd like to know more about the Reflection Podcast or St. Matthew Lutheran Church or anything really to do with Lutheranism, I invite you to join us at St. Matthew. You can find us on the web. We are at www.stmatts.net. That would be stmatts.net. And you are invited to participate in Bible studies and worship services on our website. Or if you happen to be in the uh, northeastern part of the state of Illinois, about we're about 50 miles northwest of Chicago, you can join us uh, for the events of Bible studies and worship services in person. We'd love to have you with us. The Reflection Podcast is produced by St. Matthew Lutheran Church uh, in Hawthorne Woods, Illinois. We just wrapped up season one of the podcast. Season two will be available in early 2024 after the Christmas holidays that are coming up so soon. I am so thankful that you joined me for this very special edition of the podcast for Reformation Day and learning about Martin Luther. And I pray that God will richly bless you. Please share this podcast with other people and uh, if you would, leave a review. A glowing review is most appreciated. And five stars if you can rate, rate us through wherever you get your podcasts so that more and more people can find us and to find out how they can reflect God's love uh, to this dark world and how God calls and equips those to reflect his love and glory in this world. Again, I'm Ed Blonsky for the Reflection Podcast at St. Matthew Lutheran here in Hawthorne Woods, Illinois. God's richest blessings to you. Thank you.